Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball, and today's guest is a perennial nomad who's turned her love of travel into a career. Lorraine Mace is a Jill of all trades. Her writing covers fiction, including three young adult novels and a crime thriller, features, humor, and two nonfiction books, the ABC Checklist for New Writers and the recently published Greatest Moving Abroad Kits in the World. This is a woman who really walks her talk. <laughs> Lorraine, welcome. Uh, hi, morning. <laughs> now, before we begin, um, I'd like to give the listeners a feel for your latest book, The Great, Greatest Moving Abroad Tips in the World. So um, why don't you read to us? Okay, I'd love to. Um, I'd just like to preface it by saying that I've never yet been on holiday anywhere without wanting to live there. It doesn't matter where I go, I look around and I think, wow, this is somewhere that I would really like to move to, which is a bit of a problem because it means that immediately my mind starts thinking in terms of this is my next move. But an idyllic holiday destination can actually be a dreadful place to live because of things that go hiss in the night. Rose-tinted glasses are great for holidays and short business trips, but if you are planning to live in an area, the glasses need to come off. There could be any number of reasons for choosing your destination, but if the idea of a giant spider, slithery snake, or poisonous toad brings you out in a cold sweat, then living in an environment where any of them can drop in for a visit is not for you. Once you've settled on your country of choice, you need to consider removals. But long before you call in anyone to give you a quote, you should go through the house from top to bottom, writing a list and pricing everything you don't want to take with you. A car boot sale is an ideal opportunity to make some extra cash while ridding your life of all the surplus rubbish that I bet you're hoarding in every nook and cranny. The first time I moved abroad, I took every item I possessed on the basis that it might come in handy one day. Five countries and quite a few international moves later, I'd learned my lesson. If an item hasn't been used since the last move, it doesn't get on the removal van. This is a great period to clear out all of the clutter. You need to ask yourself if the pasta-making machine you bought in a fit of enthusiasm after a romantic holiday in Rome, but which has never shaped dough, is really needed for a new life in outer Mongolia. The chances are you'll find many items that have never seen the light of day. And with the high cost of international removals, ugly china vases become an expensive keepsake. Once you get to your new country, Lots of expats hope to start their own business abroad. And the next tip covers something many will not have considered as a potential problem. The tip is entitled, Me, Myself, I, Alone, I Hope. Some countries operate a protectionist system, whereby you have to have a local partner to open a business. Other countries are even more stringent in that you would be allowed to own a business but not work in it yourself. A good example of this would be someone owning a hotel but not being allowed to answer the telephone or take bookings. 
Generally, these rules are in place to generate local employment and to protect businesses from being taken over by outsiders. If you want to make sure you can work in your own business or be allowed to run it without taking on a partner you don't need or want, you should ask the local Chamber of Commerce what the regulations are. Which brings me on to the next tip called Tangled Up in Red Tape. If you fret and fume because of the bureaucracy of your local council, then running your own business abroad is most probably not going to do your blood pressure any good. Some countries have so much red tape, they could use it to gift wrap the world. Regulations you cannot even begin to imagine will rule your every waking moment. If this is your idea of hell, then running your own business abroad is possibly not for you. Unless, of course, you can dump all the bureaucracy on your more patient spouse. And on to the subject of spouses. It's important to do things together. Building a shared interest in something neither of you has ever done before will give you additional topics of conversation, as well as the enjoyment of seeing your new skill or sport as a couple. It could also lead to meeting new people so that you can develop your social circle. But don't forget, you also need to develop separate interests as well. One of the major problems of retirement is suddenly spending all day, every day in each other's company. This is problematic enough when you are in a country you know, surrounded by family and friends and with outside interests. But if you take into account the unfamiliarity of living abroad and all the stress that entails, you'll be tearing each other to pieces if you don't develop some separate interests. The final line, absence may well make the heart grow fonder, but claustrophobic cohabitation can breed axe murderers. I love that. Thank you. Thank you, Lorraine. And that certainly does give us a feel for your prose. I love the humor in that. <laughs> well, what I wanted to do was to write a book that covered all the things that I wish I'd known before my first move. But I didn't want to make it um, dry and dull. I wanted to make it um, the kind of book that would have lots of sensible advice, but in, in a way that people would want to read it. Uh, so although it covers all of the essentials that anybody would need to know, hopefully there's a touch of humor in there that will make it easier to, to read the advice. Certainly. And, um, you know, taking on board some of the tips that you've got, and all of them are, are really very good, speaking from personal experience. Do you find in your case that um, this stuff really does become a burden? That, you know, every time you move country, did you get a little lighter? Absolutely. Uh, the, the one thing that I read out just there, when, when I said that uh, I took everything, I mean I literally took everything. I didn't, on, on my first international move, we didn't throw away one item, nothing. Mm. So when we arrived um, in South Africa, which was the first country uh, that I lived in abroad, we, um, we actually had to go through and start throwing things away that we'd actually paid to ship out there. It was a ridiculous situation. But because it was the first move, um, I didn't know what it was I was supposed to be doing. But I suppose it's a balancing act, too, because it, I, I imagine it could be quite frustrating to have to go out and purchase something that you had and, and thought, oh, oh well, I'm not going to need that. 
Yes, that's why one of the um, uh, the sections that uh, in, in the book deals with removals, but it doesn't just deal with, okay, we need to get from A to B. Half, at least half of it deals with what are you going to do before the removal people even arrive. Uh, it means it, it, there, are, there are lots of tips in there to decide whether or not you really do need to take something. You shouldn't throw things away just because you've never used them. But on the other hand, if something hasn't been used in three or four years, if it's never been out of the box, do you really want to take it with you? Yes. I suppose tips notwithstanding, really the overall um, premise of the book is to treat this move like a project and actually project manage it properly from the start. Absolutely. And right at the, um, right at the end of the book, uh, the, the section on the final countdown, it, it's making sure that you've planned the idea right the way through from, from choosing the correct country to integrating within the community, making sure that you've taken care of your health care, your finances, uh, you can drive in the country, everything. Uh, hopefully the book covers everything that anybody who is planning to move abroad needs to know. If it doesn't have the information, it points direction to find out the things that you need to know because obviously not being country specific um, it, it cannot cover every single item uh, but certainly it will it will point people in the right direction and say look this is where you need to go to find out this particular piece of information sure now look I'll just um, say this we do have a number of people in the chat room so um, they shouldn't feel like they're going to interrupt our conversation because uh, they should just send in their questions and at a suitable moment, I'll put them to Lorraine. So um, if you are listening in and you're in our chat room and you want to send in a question for Lorraine, just type it in and um, at a, you know put a little bit about yourself if you'd like and at a certain point, I'll just put them to Lorraine. Otherwise, we'll just keep talking because I have plenty of my own questions. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the questions that I have is, how and I think you did this very well, but did you struggle a little bit to make it all inclusive? I mean, I guess moving um, from England, for example, to France is quite different um, to moving, say, from the U.S. to Australia. It is. It's completely different. And yes, it was quite difficult to to make sure that it wasn't uh, country specific. So what I did when I came across something that uh, was Sorry, when I came across something that came up in, in a, um, a European move that I hadn't encountered uh, when moving to or from South Africa, I made a note of that and then I did some research to see whether or not it was just specific to that particular country. But then I tried to cover the aspect in a general way um, and said, look, if, if you need to find this out, this is where you go to find it out. Now, I got the feeling that you probably could have quadrupled the size of the book if you wanted to. Um, was, it hard oh, to out, was it hard to work out where to draw the line, or did you have pretty strict constraints on how much you were able to write? Well, the, the, I had constraints in that um, I'd been told the, the length that the book had to be. Um, but other than that, I could, I could break it up in any way that I chose. So... Yes, it, it was difficult to um, to keep it to, to the word length that it was that was required. But I made sure that everything that I wanted to be in there was covered. 
And how did you get the book? How did how did this sort of um, gig come about? Um, well, you know that uh, I'm the co-author of the um, ABC checklist for new writers with Maureen Vincent Northam. She wrote a book for the, the greatest in the world people on genealogy. And she said, she suggested to me that I actually um, put this book together for, put a proposal for the greatest in the world people. And at first I was actually very reluctant because I thought, you know, um, do I know enough? And as Maureen said, if she was planning to move abroad, I would be the person that she would ask for advice. So thinking about it from that point of view and the number of people that I have given advice to, uh, I decided to put a proposal together, which I did, and, and they accepted it. That's wonderful. Um, did you have to deal with children in any of those countries, or are there some specific issues that um, you know, moving with children would entail? Um, there are always specific issues when moving with children. Yes. Um, in fact, all of my moves apart from... Uh, actually, no. I'm just looking at the, the list of, of moves here. I moved the first time when I was 24, and I had two young children. And then I moved back to the UK. Uh, I got divorced in South Africa, and I moved back to the UK, still with my, um, obviously with my two young children. And I have to be honest, I hated it. I lasted 10 months um, and then moved us back to South Africa, South Africa again. So, yes, three moves with young children. There are, um, there are issues to take into account. Um, I think what's actually happened, though, is that my children have become nomads themselves as a result. Um, one of them lives in Gibraltar and the other one lives in Canada. Mm. So does it become um, quite tricky, really, to go home, do you find? Do you still think of England as home? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not even sure where home is, to be perfectly honest. Um, I don't think of England as home. Um, obviously, it's the country of my birth, and I'm very fond of it, and I'm incredibly patriotic. But if I think of home, home is wherever I happen to be happy at the time. So right at the moment, I'm happy in France, and France is home. Mm. But in a couple of years' time, I don't know. I, I, I honestly cannot say that I will spend the rest of my life in France, because I know me too well. We'll go on holiday, and I will want to go to Italy or Turkey or, or somewhere else. And my husband will have to put weights on my feet to stop us <laughs> from going. And then you'll want to move there. Exactly. That's, that's the point. It's whenever, whenever and wherever we have been on holiday, one of the first things I do is look in the state agent's window. I look to see what properties are available, what sort of price range they are, and immediately I start thinking about what it would be like to live there. Do you find, too, that it's tempting if you are on holiday and you find that house prices, and I can remember doing this exact thing when I was in France, um, you see house prices and you think, oh, that's so cheap. <laughs> I can sell up and live here and not have to work. Um, I used to think that way. I, I'm a little bit more sensible now. Um, not much more sensible, but just a little bit more sensible because I will do some research. But, yes, I think that. I look at prices and I think, wow, hmm. This, 
be nice. And my mind goes into overdrive and I think, well, within six months we could be living here. Because that's something, I, 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 whenever we've moved, we've moved very quickly. So you, you've had to project manage it very fast. And I suppose that's why a book like yours is so useful, because it saves you having to create the roadmap. You just use the map and you answer the question straight away. Yes. But also it stops you from making, hopefully it will stop people from making mistakes. One of the tragedies of, of many people's lives when they move abroad is that they haven't planned properly and they either find that, that the cost of living isn't as low as they thought or they haven't taken into account the, the way exchange rates can uh, affect their income or they haven't looked at the health care that's available and one of the, the uh, pair become sick and they can't afford proper medical treatment or there isn't proper medical treatment available. Or, or all, all those red tape, tape, the red tape and all of the extra costs of, you know. Exactly. Uh, you know, we've, we've met people on our travels who are living a life of absolute misery tied into a business that they cannot sell that should have been um, a, a, their, their, their wonderful life and it's turned into a nightmare because they didn't do the proper planning beforehand. And that's, that's the whole purpose of this book. It's, it's, not a, it's not a book that will say, I can get you from A to B, although if you follow it, it will. It's also saying, before you even set out for A, are you sure you really want to go there? Stop and think about it. And that Write brings down all the pros and cons. Yes, and that brings me to one of the questions that's been put in by Chinook. Welcome, Chinook. Um, the question is, how do you choose which country to visit? And I think the, there's a little, she hasn't put, I think it's a she, hasn't put um, this in there, but I, I think that you could expand that question to say, knowing that you, <laughs> you sometimes will um, visit a country and then want to move there, does that influence um, what countries you choose to visit? I think it does. Um, can, to answer that, would you <clears throat> would you mind if I read one of the tips? Not at all. Go which for is it. actually which is actually entitled "Where on Earth?" With so many places to choose from, how do you find, decide which one is right for you and your family? Well, you could try sticking a pin in an atlas and hoping for the best, but you might end up at the North Pole, which isn't a great spot for sun worshippers. A better idea is to make a short list of places you really like the sound of and then answer the questions below in respect of each, which is less exciting, I know, but much more effective. And the questions are, what are the legal requirements for residency? Is the cost of living within your means? Can you afford the type of property you want? Can you speak or learn the language? Is it possible to work? Is there enough to do if you don't work? Is the climate suitable? Is crime a problem? Will finding schools be difficult? Is high quality healthcare readily available? And then it goes on to say, before you throw the idea and this book out of the window, don't panic. The tips that follow are designed to show you how to find the answers to all those questions and many more. That's wonderful. So, so the answer's there. <laughs> and hopefully, <Yeah. laughs> hopefully that answers your question, um, Chinook. 
All right. Um, let's. Uh, I, I have had you on the show before, and when you were here before, um, you spoke a bit about the ABC checklist for new writers, which is, I guess, another one of your hats. Um, not, yes. only, not only do you move and write about moving, but you also write about writing. Um, tell me a little bit about some, and this combines the two, tell me a bit about some of the issues that you faced with writing in foreign countries. Oh, okay. The, one, of, one of the issues, of course, is not being proficient in the language to be able to write for the local um, newspapers and magazines, which means having to find um, English language markets not as difficult as it seems because there are internet programs available uh, where you can find markets. Um, I, suppose, I suppose in a way it's actually made me um, stretch further because I can't write for the market in which I live. On the other hand, living abroad has given me lots of opportunities um, to write about that in, in different ways. When I lived in France before, I wrote for Living France magazine in the UK, a humor column. And when I lived in Spain, I wrote for a Spanish magazine, again, a humor column. So yes, it is difficult, but if you want to write, there are always markets available. Mm. And do you think there'll come a point when you've lived in one particular country, um, let's say France, so long that you actually begin to write for the local market? Or will you, do you always feel like your work is going to be for readers in English? My, uh, my work will always be for readers in English. And if you've ever heard me speaking French, you would <laughs> understand why. Fair enough. Now, um, you've, you're not just... Uh, writing about writing, and you're not just writing about um, moving abroad, but you also have other forms of writing, and you're, um, you're writing about, you've got some other things on the cards. Can you tell us a little bit about what's coming and what you're working on? Well, at the moment, um, my most exciting project for me uh, is the uh, children's book called Glad the Inhaler, which is the first in a trilogy. And I've just been taken on by an agent who is obviously going to represent me and the book to some major publishers. So that's, that's the most exciting thing that's happened just recently in my life. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Is, is this the first time you've had an agent? Yes. Yes, it is. I, as I'm sure you know, it's actually very often harder to get an agent than it is to get a publishing deal, mm. um, particularly for, for fiction. Um, and I'm just really very, very excited about this. In fact, it only happened last week, so it is still very, very much um, a new thing in my life. And with, it, with an agent, um, and I agree with you totally, it's much easier to get a publisher than an agent because I think they're looking for, uh, I guess, you as a marketing package and um, you know, how they can sell you. Do you think that you'll be able to unite all of your um, interests, your writing interests and your writing skills, and get that agent to promote you across the board? Or will she, she, he or she stick specifically with the young adult? Well, <clears throat> she will actually stick um, with the children's book, or children's books, because I do have others, um, because she is a specialist children's agent. And <clears throat> that's one of the things that's 
that is so exciting for me because uh, first of all, she wasn't looking to take on new clients. So she obviously feels strongly enough about the book that, that she went outside of uh, her own rule and took on a new client. Uh, but she only uh, promotes children's books. That's absolutely wonderful. So the rest I still have to do myself. <laughs> Is there a place, do you think, where all of your different types of writing comes together? Is there some common thread that brings them all together or that you feel you know is there in everything you do humor that's that's the thing that comes through in in everything that I do it's it's the thing that holds my life together and always has um, I'm even when I start out writing something serious humor will come into it somehow the um, the, the children's books have flashes of humor in them. I didn't intend them to be there, but the characters just go and do things that are not funny, but sort of amusing. The columns that I write, um, I'll give you an example. I've been writing um, a column for writing magazine in the UK, advice for expat writers. That is now changing from the August issue to a humor column for just general um, writers as opposed to uh, specifically for expat writers because I can't help it when I write the humor comes through mm. and I guess the humor comes through your characters because your thinking is humorous <laughs> well I, th I think it must be but I, I find that my characters actually end up doing things I hadn't planned for them to do and they, it's generally those things that add the humor I'll be writing and one of them will do something that I hadn't, I didn't have in my outline. They'll just go off and do it. And nine times out of ten, that will be a humorous aspect. Mm. Well, Must be my subconscious. That's right. And I suppose it's, it's also, in a way, a little bit of a gift to the reader. I mean, if you can make your reader laugh, and that's, that's a kind of a nice bonus, whether they're reading your nonfiction or whether they're reading a how-to book or whether they're reading some fiction. It is a bonus, but it's a bonus for me as well because, as I say, I, I, just to explain, whenever I have sat down and deliberately tried to write something funny, it is always absolutely dire. It is not funny in any way whatsoever. And the harder I try to make it funny, the less funny it is. But when the humor just pops up when I least expect it, that's, that is the bonus, hopefully for the reader, but quite definitely for me. Right now, we're, we're almost out of time, but I would like to um, just ask you to give us, speaking of humor, the funniest anecdote, and I know I haven't given you any notice or warning about this, but the funniest anecdote off the top of your head from your own experience in moving abroad or in writing, whatever comes to <gasps> mind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you, Maggie. Um, trick trick I, question. I, okay, um, the, the funniest. Um, in retrospect, the funniest. I, I won a prize, uh, the Petra Kenny Prize for writing a humor verse. And I had to go to um, Canada House in Trafalgar Square in London to read this in front of a, a room full of proper poets and editors. And oh, it, was, it was just packed and there were dignitaries there as well. And my biggest fear, my biggest fear was that people wouldn't laugh in the right places. 
and I went and, and stood and <clears throat> the, the verse were, the poem was about menopause and I can tell you I had hot flushes and cold shivers at exactly the same moment and that that's I would say the one of the best and also one of the most nerve-wracking experiences. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Lorraine. We'll look forward to hearing more about Vlad the, um, sorry. It's the inhaler. Vlad the inhaler. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Vlad the inhaler, but of course it's Vlad the inhaler. <laughs> it's Vlad the inhaler. It's, it's, a, it's an asthmatic vampire. <sighs> Terrific, wonderful, and what a great premise, too. Um, I can see why the agent broke her rules. So maybe we can have you back on the show when that's out and about. That would be wonderful. I'll look forward to that. All right, um, that is all we have time for. Our next guest is Sir Ken Robinson. Sir Ken is a creativity expert, a visionary cultural leader, an all-around great thinker, and a bit of a YouTube star who's joining us to talk about his book, which has just come out in paperback, The Element. So don't miss that. Thank you to all of our listeners and to all of our chat listeners and chat uh, people as well. Chinook just wants to tell you to keep up the great work. <laughs> all oh, right. Thank you. thank you and bye-bye. Thanks.